When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My guest this week is the author and host of The Daily Wire's Andrew Clavin Show, Andrew Clavin. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Obviously, there's been a huge escalation in tensions around uh, Russia and Ukraine at the moment. But why should we care about what Russia is doing in a country that many people would actually struggle to find on a map? (laughs) Well, as we learned in the 20th century, what happens far away sometimes comes home. And that doesn't mean there's one answer to every problem. It matters whether you're (coughs) defending Belgium uh, from an invasion or whether you're dealing with a psychopath like Hitler. Uh, And a guy like Vladimir Putin, what you have is a criminal mastermind. He's a truly bad guy. He's a truly uh, gangsterish, oppressive guy uh, who has a vision of greater Russia and of great uh, distress over the fall of the Soviet Union and wants to rebuild some of that power. That's not a good thing for us or for the world. Uh, You know, it's not a good thing for oppressive, anti-democratic leaders to take more and more territory and to destroy uh, the freedoms of of people who might become our allies. The thing that Putin is so smart about, just like Hitler was, Putin is not a Hitler, but he is playing by that same playbook. He understands that the people of the West are divided, uh, that they are wary of foreign entanglements, that they do not want a shooting war to start, that they think that they're living in a brave new world where all that is behind us. And so he's playing us off one another. And his purpose is to create a greater Russia, to restore his own credibility at home, which sometimes falls because of their poor economy, and also to, to break up NATO, to separate the U.S. and NATO. Uh, And he's doing very well. He's being very successful. And our leaders are are being quite hapless. You've mentioned there some the the ideas about Putin essentially wanting to reestablish Russia's greatness in in the world. But what does Russia actually gain from invading Ukraine? Well, Putin believes that the Ukrainians and the Russians are one people. He doesn't. He has said this is not a country. These are part of the Russian people. And so it's in keeping with his vision of bringing them back into the fold. And what what he gains is the Ukrainians are really quite attracted to NATO. They're really quite attracted to the West and they, they lean toward the West. And if they actually were to become part of NATO or just establish themselves as a firmly democratic society, that would be a rebuke 
to Putin's essentially undemocratic and oppressive rule. He can't really afford that. You, you have to remember that even tyrants, and even tyrants as well established as Putin, are always always have knives at their backs. There's always that moment when everybody gets around them and says, you know, let's ditch this guy and, and get the power for ourselves. And so you, the Ukraine is an actual threat to him as it, uh, I call it the Ukraine, it's Ukraine, is a threat to him uh, as it moves closer and closer to democratic values and to the West. Based on all that then, why is the United States getting involved? I mean, we can, we can understand Central and Eastern European nations being involved and the United Kingdom's involved at the moment due to longstanding naval and historic commitments to Ukraine. But why the United States when it's quite literally a continent and an ocean away? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think we're at... Uh, at risk of being invaded by Russia, which is really a wobbling, uh, completely unfunded paper tiger, if, if anybody would stand up to it. But we are part of the Western world and we fancy ourselves in some senses, the leaders of the free world in that our uh, might is what keeps Western Europe from being invaded. Our power is what basically unites everybody under one umbrella. And so if we become separated from NATO, uh, we actually leave Western Europe open to, to, con to literal conquest. And so we don't want that to happen. We want to be a part of the world. We want to be uh, you know, a, a part of the vision of a free world and the expansion of freedom in the world, which is right now not happening. Right now, democracies are you know, falling back. And so we could take an isolationist um, attitude. We could say that we, we only want to get involved where we ourselves are threatened. History teaches us that that is not always such a good idea, that one day you wake up and Hitler is taking every piece of Europe but yours, you know, but, but uh, the United Kingdom, uh, and things get very gnarly at that point, and we want to make sure that doesn't happen again. As we speak, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon in the UK. It's about 11 a.m. where you are in, in Tennessee. And the United States Department of Defense has just announced that it's put around 8,500 American troops on a heightened alert to deploy to Europe if needed. So that, they've, they've also signaled as well that uh, it could even move U, uh, U.S. troops who are already based in Europe as well. So, again, taking all this into account, do you think that this escalation could actually result in a war with Russia? Well, of course, we all hope not. But the best way to avoid war is always to be ready for war. And the easiest way to fall into war is to be weak. I mean, and this is the thing. This is the problem that I think the United States has right now. Our leaders are feckless and they're weak and they're more uh, interested in transforming the American economy into some kind of socialist, um, you know, paradise of some sort. Uh, they're not really interested in the world very much at all. The left has never been very interested in the world. It's almost always interested in transforming uh, the, the country that it's in. And so to... To not, to not move at all is to encourage Putin. When Joe Biden the other day ridiculously said, well, if it's only a minor incursion, we might not have to respond. It, that basically is to give him the green light. And so that's, and that's what we have essentially done. You notice that when Trump was president, um, Putin didn't make any moves because Trump was such a lunatic. He had no idea what he was going to do. He senses weakness. He smells it like all these guys know how to smell weakness. And so Biden is making this move. I'm not sure that's going to impress anybody. But you have to hope that we don't stumble into war. I mean, the, the worst thing, the worst outcome is by, that by being weak, we find ourselves in a position where we actually must go to war in order to preserve ourselves. That would be genuinely awful. That comment you just mentioned there, the, 
essentially Biden greenlighting a, a minor incursion, to, to, to use his words. I mean, yeah. frankly, that, that's just a jaw-dropping comment to make. And if, if that is allowed to happen, if they, they do essentially allow a, a minor incursion, what sort of message would that send to the West's adversaries like China, who may wish to make a minor incursion into Taiwan, for example? You know, I, I, I wish I could say something reassuring, but of course, it, it's exactly what it does. It sends a message to the world that we are not going to move. I mean, you know, if, if I were the Chinese watching the way we uh, surrendered in Afghanistan, I mean, it was one thing to make the argument that we want to withdraw, but to do what we did, which was to run away in a Vietnam-like panic. If I were the Chinese watching that, I'd have gone into Taiwan the next day. You know, I mean, I would have just said, oh, these guys are in complete disarray. They have no idea what they're doing. Uh, it has been said by uh, one of our security experts here, Robert Gates, that that Biden has been wrong about every foreign policy decision for the last 50 years. Uh, Barack Obama famously said that you should never underestimate Biden's ability to screw things up. Um, and that was not quite exactly how he put it, but that's how I'll put it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that Biden has shown that to be true. So, yeah, we are leaving our flank open uh, to these very aggressive uh, Russians, Chinese and Iranians who are forming a new axis of evil, uh, operating in tandem to to dis dismantle the power of America. And listen, as annoying as America can be, and as, a, 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 as big of a pain in the neck as we can be as an ally, we are still the power that keeps the West together and keeps the West alive. And so we don't want to, we don't want to lose that. You know, it'd be nice if America could get its head on straight, but still, you know, you don't want to see it uh, disappear. The Germans who think they're going to make friends with Russia are going to end up in the, the belly of the tiger if they're not careful. President Biden, uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, a number of other European leaders and leaders of organisations like uh, NATO and the European Union, they released a statement on Monday evening threatening sanctions on Russia and an increased military presence in the continent if Russia does invade. But given that that was actually the response in 2014 when Russia annexed the Crimea and nothing happened, What's going to be different this time around, do you think? <laughs> Probably nothing. Uh, but, you know, what you what you hope. Yeah. I mean, look, they, you know, Joe Biden has stopped a lot of the energy production in America and he's hampered a lot of the energy production in America, which was making America an exporter of energy, which is a, a consummation devoutly to be wished. We want America, a free nation, to be giving, you know, energy, to be selling energy to the rest of the world. Instead, with this new pipeline, uh, Russia, Europe is going to become dependent on Russian oil and Russian energy. Uh, and if that's the one sanction that I think would keep Putin up at night, that's the one thing I think, because he is a, a petro dictatorship, uh, that's the one thing that might really make him think twice. There just doesn't seem to be the will to do this. We have these uh, greens here in America who think that energy is kind of the dark evil of the modern world. Uh, they are absolutely irrational uh, when it comes to no understanding how a modern society functions and the role that uh, fossil fuels play in keeping that society alive. In Germany, you have the complete nonsense of closing down nuclear plants, one of the safest, cleanest forms of energy. Uh, this, this green idea has become a kind of fetish, kind of cult, and Putin is living off that. And nobody is about to say to him, you know what, thanks anyway, we'll make our own energy, uh, because they just are afraid of that, um, that, you know, that lobbying power of the Greens.
if Russia does invade Ukraine, then what what does that say about the effectiveness of the NATO alliance? Do, does it say that essentially NATO's had its day almost? Well, right now, that's that is the real danger. It really is a danger. I mean, mm. if we're not in this together, you know, as as they said during the founding of this country, if we don't hang together, we hang separately. And that's that really is a, a genuine danger in the world. The idea, you know, the idea that America is paradise is absurd, but that the idea that, that America is inessential is likewise mm. absurd. If we don't stay together, if we don't understand that there is something we're doing here, you know, we are mm. uh, trying to create a, a free world, a world for that where individuals are free, not a world where genius elites at Davos get together and decide what to do with our tax dollars, but a word, world where the individual has a vision for his own life that he can live out. Uh, that We have lost that vision to some degree, even here in the States, where it was our guiding light. And if we do lose it, then I, I don't know where where we get another vision to stand up uh, to tyrants like this, if we're just another authoritarian uh you know, world, if we're just another authoritarian part of the world, I'm not sure what difference it makes who wins. But if we actually do have this respect for the individual, this respect for women's rights, this respect uh, for people in their localities and with their uh, individual traditions, then we have to hang together because if we don't, uh, we have no defense against this kind of authoritarian thinking that comes out of Russia, out of China, uh, and certainly out of Iran. And if NATO does allow this to happen, then really, is, is there even a place for NATO in the modern world if it's just powerless to stop the thing it was created to defeat? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I never want to make the blanket statement that, no, it's all, if they move into Ukraine, it's all over. But it certainly yeah. is a blow. It is a blow. So the United States uh, State Department, they've, they've ordered the full evacuation of uh, American embassy officials and their families from Ukraine, just as it did with the ev evacuation of Afghanistan some five months ago. You, you've already yeah. touched on it today. Yeah. The UK is uh, evacuating families and many officials, but retaining that skeleton stuff at an open UK embassy. But given that there are still hundreds of American citizens still trapped in Afghanistan without any diplomatic representation, and of course, with that, there will be no doubt many in Ukraine seeking consular assistance. What does that say about U.S. foreign policy at the moment? Well, you know, my, my suggestion was that since we left all our weapons with the Taliban, we should ask the Taliban to send our weapons to Ukraine. It would be the most efficient way to yeah. pull this disaster together. Our foreign policy is, is in complete disarray. Uh, you know, we, we have lived for quite some time without the pressure of consequences. And it has made us stupid. You know, you look at Afghanistan and you think, what were we thinking when we went into the graveyard of empires to establish a democracy in a place that doesn't even have cities? I mean, it doesn't even have a, a modern uh, lifestyle. Well, what we were thinking was we were thinking in a bunch of rooms in Washington, D.C., where they seriously had never gotten out and seen what the world is like. They had never experienced real life. We have been since the fall of the Soviet Union, really, in 1990, we've really been so safe and so secure that we have forgotten what consequences look like. Uh, we are living, as, as an editorial writer here said today, we're already living in the metaverse. We're no longer dealing with reality as it is. And I, and I just think it's, it's embarrassing. You know, it's embarrassing to talk about uh, for an American and someone who actually does love this country and hope it restores its, uh, both its strength and its common sense. But right this minute, 
Uh, we are, you know, we're having debate, debates whether a man can think himself into becoming a woman or whether a man who says he's a woman should be competing with women so that he wins every race or every swim meet or whatever it is. We're talking nonsense. We're all of us here are talking nonsense uh, and, and things that we are putting things that we think online and on Facebook instead of dealing with each other face to face and the reality of face to face. Putin, if there's one gift that Putin has given us, he has given us the gift of consequence that when you mess with a guy like this, he is got not going to he's not going to move imaginary armies yeah. uh, into ter other territories. He's going to move real armies. And so maybe that's going to wake us up. 9-11 uh, woke us up for a couple of minutes, but we went back to sleep again because it wasn't as big a threat as all that. Now we're facing some real global threats and you have to just hope they bring us back to reality. So do you think the withdrawal from Afghanistan and that, that whole situation being so chaotic and rushed and just a, a total disaster, really, on, on all sides yeah. of, of the, the yeah. Western perspective on this. Do you think that episode has, has actually undermined America's position on the world stage and perhaps even given Putin the confidence to proceed into the Donbass region? I don't see how it could not. I really don't. I don't understand how, mm -hmm. you know, there, there was an argument to be made. I was not thrilled with the war in Afghanistan. There was an mm -hmm. argument to be made for leaving a token. We already had just a token force there anyway, uh, keeping the Taliban from coming back into uh, Kabul, you know, and, and just making sure that things didn't get worse. There was a real argument to, to be made for calling the war a success and going home. No matter what you thought, whether you thought that was right or wrong, what Biden did was a completely chaotic mess. It was stupid in every aspect to leave behind a Bagram Air Force Base before we had gotten anybody out, to leave our materiel behind, uh, to leave our people behind. All of it was a mess. And so when you display that kind of incompetence, what do you think that predators uh, are going to think? You know, if you see a wounded animal, the predator goes after that animal. If you see a country that's being run by incompetence and boobs, you know, you're going to come after that that country. Uh, look, this is still a country, you know, America has been counted out in the past and uh, all three countries get counted out because the people there look kind of fat and sloppy and and, hap and too happy to fight. But in the end, usually free countries fight quite uh, quite fiercely when they have to. Uh, we can only hope that America responds to real threats in a real way. But sure, of course, any, any piece of incompetence like that is going to undermine... Mm. Uh, your standing in the world. Perhaps someone of a, a more cynical mindset, let's say, might, might actually want this situation in, with Russia to escalate into a war. I mean, defence contracting, it's a highly lucrative industry. And also, given that historically, wartime leaders tend to be popular with their electorates, Joe Biden could certainly do with a boost in his polling rate. What, what do you make of that assessment? Do you think there's any validity to those arguments? No, I, I actually not. I mean, look, there's always um, there's always profiteering in war. And, and so that's that's certainly true. But that Joe Biden would want to start a war to up his popularity uh, that, you know, it's not actually an American tradition. It's not the kind of thing we are. Our, our leaders think uh, but what Biden wants is for some reason he was elected to be normal. That was why he was elected. He was elected to be uh, the antidote to Trump and to not. Uh, do crazy things. And for some reason, he took that very, very small election victory where he has a completely divided Congress. He took that as a mandate to make great Roosevelt-like changes. Uh, where that comes from, I don't know who's advising him of that, why he has taken that advice. I have no way of knowing. But I think that that was his vision of himself, not 
that he was going to elevate himself to greatness through war. The problem with war is once they start, you know, they're very unpredictable. Uh, you do not know that they're going to work out and they can destroy a presidency as well as make one. On Joe Biden, he is, it's just marked his first anniversary in office. How do you think his first year has gone? Oh, it's, it's been a disaster. I mean, he's, he's, yeah. his popularity rating, I think, is seven guys who have, aren't paying attention. I mean, he's like lost even his own people. Um, you know, it, it was a very, very strange election. Uh, Donald Trump really threw a wrench into everybody's idea, the press and the uh, permanent government, if you will, uh, united in uh, trying to silence him and shut him down and knock off and, and silence any information that might hurt Joe Biden. Joe Biden spent most of the election in the cellar of his house wearing a mask, terrified to come out for fear of getting COVID. Uh, the fact that he was losing his cognitive abilities was evident to everybody except the press and anybody who was paying attention to the press. Uh, so he, he has now come out. He said he was going to shut down the virus. There again, you have just complete a uh, completely unrealistic promise. There, nobody can shut down a virus. Nobody can shut down a, a novel coronavirus. Nobody knows how to do it, uh, that, that it was going to somehow go away, that we would wear enough masks or hide in our room long enough or take enough vaccines, that it would disappear was always a nonsense. And, all the, and that's not just Biden. That was all of the leaders uh, who told us that somehow if we just gave up our lives and our businesses and our children uh, and our children's education, that somehow this, this virus was going to go away. All of them were absolutely talking nonsense. And so, and Biden was just one of them. Uh, that has been bad. His complete, the left just does not know how the economy works. Mm -hmm. It does not, it never, ever asks itself where money comes from where wealth comes from. You know, it is a wonderful thing about capitalism that it creates so much wealth that it can actually afford to have social, you know, systems in place, uh, so a, a welfare state. It can pay for that welfare state as long as the capitalism survives. They have put such a, a burden uh, on capitalism through their lockdowns and through their uh, spending that, you know, we're really hobbled in that regard as well. Uh, the the treatment of COVID, the masking of children, the shutting down of education, the domination of our teachers' unions, the teachers' unions dominate the Democrat Party. All of it has been a disaster, and, and all of it has been seen in spite of the press. Even the press cannot lie enough to hide the disaster of this presidency. And look, you know, <laughs> it, it's going to take some new ideas. I mean, I, I for one, am just so tired of 70 and 80-year-old men running this country. Uh, I would like to see some young, younger people with fresh ideas come in. I would like to see a new right and a, and a more sensible left uh, begin to guide this country in the manner that has worked for us so well. You know, we've kind of moved along that 50-yard line, moved along the middle road, sometimes going a little left, sometimes going a little right. And now we're kind of swinging back and forth. Uh, from radical one radical side to another, and the people in in the in their electoral voice keep saying normalize, normalize, pull it back, uh, and the leaders simply will not listen because the people with the loudest voices are the people with the worst ideas. Well, of, of course, it isn't just Joe Biden who is celebrating a, a first anniversary in office. Kamala Harris, the the first female vice president of the United States, yeah. it was also marking this anniversary. Again, how do you think her vice presidency has been going? Oh, it's a, it's a, also a disaster. I mean, even even the left doesn't yeah. know what to do with her. For a while, they were floating the idea of, of mm. 
having her fail upward into the Supreme Court just so they wouldn't have to run with her again. She's always been a tremendously unappealing person. She has uh, uh, she's dishonest. Uh, I think she's corrupt, but I don't have proof of that. But it seems to me she has done a lot of corrupt things. And and she's just an unappealing person. And and she's a weight on the uh, on the presidency elect, you know, in terms of running for reelection. We'll see. There's a lot of time before the next election. So uh, things can change enormously. You've just essentially said that the entire Biden administration has just been a, a disaster from from start to finish there. So um, I'll, I'll pose a challenge to you here. Can you name a single policy or piece of legislation that the Biden administration has introduced this year that you agree with and think has been a good thing for the United States? You know, uh, not really. I mean, they passed the one. The only thing they've accomplished is they passed the uh, infrastructure bill. Um, I'm not an absolutist on infrastructure. There are some people who think the government should not have any role in infrastructure, and I know it is a huge, huge source of graft and corruption to pour that kind of money uh, into the infrastructure bill. A lot of things just never get done. They just uh, the money just kind of vanishes into the bureaucratic atmosphere. Um, but that wasn't a terrible thing to do. I didn't, you know, I wasn't, didn't recoil in horror when they passed that. Uh, but no, they came in, you know, they came in without a single, the thing that people care about right now, they care about inflation, they care about crime, uh, they care about the coronavirus and just getting, and getting back to normal a little bit. The, the Biden administration has absolutely no plan for dealing with any of those things. And the other day, the chief of staff, Ron Klain, he said, you know, no, no, the things that we are proposing, uh, childhood, you know, ch- free child care, these are the things that Americans want. They're not. I mean, all the polls say the same thing. People are afraid. I mean, in crime, we have a, a terrible spike in crime due to left-wing uh, prosecutors uh, taking over, and, and they just haven't addressed any of it. I, I've never, I can't remember ever having seen a, an administration so divorced from the people. Uh, and they keep kind of blaming us. I was, a Democrat commentator on the air the other day said, the Democrats aren't suffering from bad leaders. They're suffering from bad followers. Mm. I thought, you mean the people? I mean, is that, yeah. is that is the fault of the people now that the leaders can't lead? So, you know, right now, I, I have nothing very good to say about these people, except that they're, they're not evil. You know, they're just uh, yeah. massively incompetent. So let, let's look ahead then to the midterm elections in November. What's your prediction? Do you think the Republicans will retake Congress, as some are suggesting? Right, right now, it, it, it does seem like that. I'm always a big believer. Uh, my friend Glenn Reynolds, who runs a, a blog called Instapundit, uh, he always quotes Han Solo saying, don't get cocky, kid, you know, and I, I'm always a great believer in that. Predictions are only good in so far as people show up and actually vote that way. Right now, it's hard to believe that, I mean, the Republicans are really good at losing but it's hard to believe that um, that they won't at least take back the the House, um, and it would be delightful. They only lost the Senate because of uh, Donald Trump's "stop the steal" nonsense. I mean, they only lost the the Senate because he was he served his ego instead of the country. Uh, so it would be nice if they could take back the Senate, and that would really I think I think that would be the best thing that could happen for the country because it would just bring things to a stop. And I think we actually need to do that because the policies they're proposing are so bad. But they, right now, it looks very good for the Republicans. You know, I mean, things yeah. can, can change. What do they say? A week mm-hmm. is a long time in politics, but but things can change. But right now, it looks awfully good. And even f- further beyond that, 2024, of course, is the next presidential election. Yeah. Will Joe Biden run for a, a second term or will he pass the uh, button on to Kamala Harris or even, as some are suggesting, 
Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah, it's a Hillary Clinton. I mean, Hillary Clinton, I've said this before, but it's like that the horror movie where the guy has a nightmare and he wakes up and he's still in the nightmare. You know, there's like she, she just will not go yeah. away. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton is a distinct possibility. Um, it's very hard to believe that Joe Biden has it in him to run again. Kamala Harris, I don't, Kamala Harris, remember, never won a primary. She never got, I, I think, even 1% of the vote. Uh, she's a viable candidate for the presidency on her own. Uh, they can beat the, you know, the feminist drum all they want, but she just hasn't got it. So, and the the Democrat Party doesn't have a very deep bench. They don't have a lot of young people coming up that anybody trusts or cares about. Uh, so, you know, Hillary Clinton is a real possibility. On the right, the big mystery, of course, is Donald Trump. What will he do? And uh, he keeps saying he's going to run, but there's some speculation that he's doing that because it keeps the money flowing in, keeps the donations coming in. He's going to be a lot older. Um, I don't think he'll win. I don't think I, I think he might win the nomination, but I don't mm. think he could win the election if he ran. Mm. Uh, he only barely won it. The first, people forget this. He only won it by like a, you know, a sliver uh, the mm. first time. Um, and I think people are just kind of he, he was the he was the right man for the moment. Mm. He broke a lot yeah. of things that needed breaking. He, he uh, mm. charged into the China shop like the bully was and broke a lot mm. of uh, sacred glass. If I can mix metaphors there. But he, he broke a lot yeah. of uh, things that needed breaking. But I don't think people are ready to bring that back again. Uh, mm. That's that's my own personal yeah. feeling. So it's really it's too far away yeah. to even speculate about. Yeah. I like this guy, Ron DeSantis, who's done a great job in Florida, uh, has a great mm. way with the press is able to you know mock and undermine the press without being offensive and nasty yeah. um you know there, there are people out there who could run but trump is you know he's the one more metaphor he's the uh, elephant in the room you know yeah. we just don't know what he's going to do let's move away now from from biden uh, trump R- russia for a moment and let, let's talk about the daily wire's recent victory at the united states supreme court mm-hmm. so for listeners who may not have heard about this what was it you were challenging in the first place well, the Biden administration had used uh, OSHA, which is a bureau, bureaucratic uh, agency for workplace safety. It comes in and says, you know, you can't have this windowless room with no fire escape. In there. That's mm-hmm. their basic job. Right. Um, and it used them to say, well, if you have more than 100 employees, you either have to have them tested constantly or you have to they, you have to force them to get vaccines. So it was a vaccine mandate. The federal government really does not have the right, the power to impose a vaccine mandate on the states. So it did it through bureaucratic means. They didn't legislate it. They didn't vote for it. Nobody voted for it. Nothing. It was just, oh, yeah, this is workplace safety. So the Daily Wire and and other agencies sued the government saying, we're not going to do this. You know, you don't have the right to do this. You were not given the OSHA was not given this power by Congress. Uh, It was not voted on. It's completely unconstitutional. And what the Supreme Court did was it it basically said, we are not going to institute this. It effectively destroyed it. It didn't say this is decidedly unconstitutional. It said you can't put this in until it's been tried through the courts. And that essentially ended it. So it really was an important victory because as as the, the justices said, the six justices who would not have been there had Trump not been elected, if the, if the six justices hadn't said, when does an emergency end and what power does the government not have? So we have already had Democrats who say 
racism is an emergency. They have said this, racism is a health emergency. Uh, they, of course, think the climate is an emergency. Every time it snows, it's you know global warming. Every time it's hot, it's global warming. No matter what happens, it's global warming. So they have declared the weather an emergency. They've declared racism, which is an eternal problem of the human heart, an emergency. What powers would they not have? You know, where the where does the uh, this government that's supposed to be a government of limited powers where does it end? So the court basically agreed with that. And what was really frightening was that the three liberal justices didn't actually dissented. They actually said, no, you know, the, these the, these OSHA people are experts in safety, so they should have the right to declare this an emergency and to declare that they have the right to make these rules. Fortunately, there were enough judges, justices to disagree. But it was a huge victory, uh, you know, for civil rights. And in the sense that, you know, this is supposed to be a country, and I I lived in England for many years. I had a hard time explaining this to British people. Uh, You know, this is a country where the power is supposed to come from the ground up. You know, we are supposed to be in charge. The government is supposed to be our servant, not our master. If they can declare an emergency and then declare that any agency can make rules without a vote, what power don't they have? Where is the limitation to their power? So in, in actually bringing this, this case forward, what was it specifically about the, the OSHA mandate that, that uh, the Daily Wire, other organizations found so egregious, so wrong that you, you felt compelled that you just had to take uh, legal action against this? Well, it was, it, 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 first of all, the idea you know, after the Nuremberg trials, after, you know, the uh, World War II, it was declared that you cannot force people to have medical procedures. The idea that you can force somebody uh, to take a vaccine is, is first of all, it's, it's a display of such weakness by the government. If the government had been honest to, uh, with us from the very beginning, if they had told us what they knew and what they didn't know, what they were sure of and what they were uncertain of, and then they had said, listen, we really think here are the, the facts we have on this vaccine. We really think you should take it. Many more people would have trusted the government and taken it. It has been the constant lies, the constant bullying, the constant social bullying and, and domineering, uh, mandate-driven idiocy of the government that has caused us to say, why should we take this vaccine? You lied to us about Russian collaboration. You lied to us about Hunter Biden. You lied to us about you know Donald Trump, about everything. Why should we believe you when it comes to the vaccine? So the idea that then having failed to establish themselves as trustworthy, they could then force us to have this medical procedure is offensive in the extreme. The idea that that force should be applied by a bureaucratic agency without any democratic uh, basis at all is anti-American in the extreme. It is the opposite of what America is supposed to be. Listen, I'm a big vaccine fan. You know, I, I have loved not getting polio. It's been one of my favorite things. You know, I've loved not getting, having smallpox is great too. I'm, I'm vaccinated. I believe in the vaccines. I think they have helped, though they haven't helped as much as we would have liked and the doctor said. But I, I think people have to make those choices on their own. It's the only way to do it. And since we now know the vaccine doesn't stop transmission, right? The argument that you should get vaccinated to protect me doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So you had a failed government and a rational government and an overweening mandate. Uh, all of those, you know, combined to just make us say this is ridiculous. We won't comply. So now that this this vaccine mandate has been effectively struck down by the, by the court, what sort of precedent do you think that could set? So I give you the example in the UK. We've got in our national health service eighty thousand workers, doctors, nurses, staff who are unvaccinated and will lose their jobs in April. So do do you think the Daily Wire's legal action in the United States could potentially 
inspire similar cases around the world? Well, one, one can only hope so. I mean, I think that already they mentioned the case um, in, in a, in a, I can't remember if it was another country, it was another federal case here. Uh, so it actually has become precedent. Uh, and I, you know, I think it's nuts to fire healthcare workers, you know, if for not getting vaccinated. I mean, they're only putting themselves in danger. You know, one of the things that we have to understand is your feelings don't create any responsibility in me. The fact that you're afraid doesn't mean that I have to wear a mask. The fact that you think you're a, a girl doesn't mean that I have to accept that you're a girl. You know, th- this is a kind of trope that the left has put forward, the idea that my feelings are hurt, you have to censor yourself. Well, no, no, you know, this is this is it. We're all responsible for ourselves. And I think it's it's really interesting that countries like Sweden and states like Florida, without ever uh, falling prey to this kind of terror, uh, have done quite well in terms of the numbers and the sick and, and also in terms of establishing trust between the government and the people. You know, the whole idea of freedom is that the government has to, you have to trust the government. And you trust the government when they tell you the truth, when they stand by their word, when they do the things they say they're going to do. And when they don't show up at your house and try to force you to do things that you have a right to say no to. Uh, so hopefully, you know, uh, this is this is something that recently in, in the whole West, we have lost the idea of we have lost the idea that the government works for us, uh, that we are the, the final arbiters of our lives. And, and I think that we need to get that back because that is the plot of the West. You know? Okay, so j- just to finish, let's, let's bring our conversation back to, to Russia and Ukraine for a moment. But the world is really looking to the United States at the moment for leadership on this growing crisis. But can other countries, other leaders actually trust President Biden to support them in a potential counter to Russian aggression and hostilities, given that America at the moment seems to be more divided, more isolationist than at any other time in recent memory. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I I don't think the division is being generated by America. I mean, Germany is kind of almost on Russia's side, it seems like France is very hesitant and has suddenly started fights with us about things. Uh, England is the only, I mean, you guys are the only country that is actually all in on standing up uh, to the Russians and good for you. It's, you know, it's the right thing to do. I, I don't think, I think Biden, is an incompetent, but I don't think he is a um, a snake. You know, mm. I, he hasn't he doesn't appear to me to be somebody who would sit down with the French or the Germans and come to an agreement and then go back on that agreement. I don't think that's that is exactly who he is. I think this is this is a government that thought it was something that it simply wasn't. It thought it was the radical, uh, you know, dawning of the socialist utopia. Uh, and people literally voted for it to not be that. You know, they literally rejected Bernie Sanders. They literally rejected, uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren. They voted for Biden for normalcy. And and suddenly uh, they have taken on this kind of left wing idea. But but it's it's really in the fact that he's a doddering old man who barely knows where he is. Uh, it's not the fact that he's out to sort of manipulate NATO or or. Uh, double deal NATO. I don't think that's what's going on. So yeah, I think that he could be trusted if anybody could sit down with him and talk to him and get anything out of him. I mean, I think that um, I think the problem with the division of NATO lies mostly in Western Europe, uh, the way I'm, I'm seeing it from here. That's that's where the divisions are and, and, and Biden's inability to overcome those divisions with strong leadership. Okay. Andrew Clavin, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Pleasure talking to you.